does it say about us as a culture? Um, and, you know, to echo a point that was already brought up, like, oh, you know, our children are watching this. I don't know. Maybe you should try parenting. <laughs> Be in control of the things that your children consume. Like, I, I don't think that that's his responsibility. Hello guys and welcome to a new episode of Don't Let The Stands. You're here today with your host Eads McKenzie. And Nicholas Turok. And Shopper. And we have a special guest today who Nick is going to introduce. Yes, so today we have um, a good friend and also just an amazing peer, which is Shireen Taylor, who resides in Toronto. Uh, she is a lot of things (laughs) a website creator a music and culture journalist um the owner of bashi which is a publication which focuses on jamaica and the west indies in music culture entertainment um she's also a student at this point studying um and yeah just a whole host of amazing amazingness she's written for fader obviously her own platform bashi represent uh new york times i believe just recently um and a whole audio mac like me and a whole host of other publications but yeah this is shireen taylor guys we will be talking to her a bit more in depth later on in the episode but she will join us for the whole of all of our three segments so it's going to be really enjoyable um but i know eden usually asks this but i guess i'll transition but how is everyone this week in general Uh, it's been a slow week for me this week um but you know it's gonna pick up soon hopefully um my dad's gone back to playing golf, so, you know, life's back to normal and stuff, kind of. Um, I don't know about actually going out and actually doing things as of yet, but Deliveroo now, like, delivers in my area, which is good, because before, it was only McDonald's or KFC that I was really getting the option from. But, yeah, I mean, it's all good. Things are kind of slowing down, but it's all good. Um, Before the next person goes, I just want to give a quick shout-out to a friend of ours who's released a book. So, Alex Holmes has written a book called Time to Talk. It's an amazing, amazing book focusing on emotional wellness for for young men or men in general. And in the title, the subtitle is How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection. So Alex Holmes hosts a podcast called Time to Talk, similar to the name of the book. And he basically has conversations about how men can have more um, compassionate and um, loving relationships with other people and themselves. So it extends to intimate relationships personal relationships and relationships with the self it's an amazing book you can find it on waterstones wh smith amazon all of the book places you can find it and we'll put a link in our description um but please do check it out because this book is very important for all of the conversations we're having at the moment so that is alex holmes time to talk how men think about love belonging and connection um and the next person how are you, whoever that is, Chope or Shireen? I'm tired, next person. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a very, I don't know if it's the same for everyone else, but this week has really drained a lot out of me. Um, There's something in the air. It's like, I think, um, I can't say for Canada, but in the UK, there's kind of this in-between period we're in, we're in at the moment where things are kind of opening up, but we're kind of figuring out, figuring out what's going to happen in the next few months. So I can totally relate to that feeling of tiredness. It's honestly exhausting. But hopefully you guys find some energy later on today. Um, 100%. But Nick, I want to hear how you're doing. Um, 
I've taken the week off work this week. So I did a cheat code and just took like three days, um, except for Monday. And then kind of got the bank holiday. So it's kind of almost, it is a week. Yeah, I kind of got a week off for the price of three days. Um, but yeah, nice. um, during this week, <laughs> I have a lot of extracurricular to do and I still have it to do. So I, yeah, have a big interview that I did on Wednesday. Um, was really anxious about that. And I don't usually get anxious about interviews, um, but it just kind of took a lot of anxiety out of me for some reason, but got through it. It was great. Um, and now I have to write it up. So I will be up all night today and tomorrow. So, you know, I'm not tired now because I've got to see friends this week and stuff, but I'm going to be tired by Monday. Um, glad it's due on Monday so I can kind of just submit and go to sleep in that order but um I'm gonna try and make it I did tell Shireen I'm probably not gonna make it but I am going to try and make it but it's that quality versus quantity thing in my head that I'm going over right now um and I'm willing to kind of push deadlines back if I want that quality but we're gonna see what we come up with in the next two days 48 hours and then go from there to be honest but apart from that I'm okay and I actually saw Alex, who um, obviously Eden shouted out just before, and I'm so happy for him. So congrats to people who, I think there's been a lot of book releases this week that I've seen. So yeah, congrats to everyone who's releasing something or like in the process of writing and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's been a week of kind of seeing people that I haven't seen in months. So I felt positive and I'm just... I guess I'll get myself ready to get into work mode later on somehow, some way, but I'm feeling okay at this point, but ask me on Monday, <laughs> ask me on Monday. <laughs> well, that's good. Hopefully you get through the bulk of that work and find some time to actually get some R&R. But yeah, man, um, new episode. So it's season six, episode six, and we've got a lot to get through this week. So as Nick said, Shireen Taylor is going to be on the episode talking all things topics and we'll have a conversation at the end so stay tuned. Shofei, should we go into the music section? Right, so I have four. I'm going to say what the first two are because we don't have time and I may or may not go into depth about the other two. Probably not. Let's see how we go. So the first one is Serpent with Beats Deacon, his second album. If I had more time, I would save more. It's a great album. I would say it's very simple and thoughtful. Beautiful writer, beautiful lyricist. Secondly, we have Galad's Neptune. Uh, I just love his growth as an artist from these last five, six years. Um, I just feel like he never misses. Very consistent. This is like it's giving me all the Donnell Jones, all the Case, all the Cisco, like Brian Michael Cox era, Usher kind of vibes great project but i guess what i don't want to go in depth in about is um willow smith um so a good friend of mine um put me onto her a few weeks ago and i i'd heard like bits and pieces of her music and i knew she is she'd come a long way from the way my hair days and i actually have seen her i saw her afropunk four years ago five years ago but um i didn't really have an opinion of her but he played me a song of hers called time machine and i was like wow this is a really good song it's a really really cool song so that was and that's kind of been my my one song for her for the last couple of weeks but i don't know why but something came over me and i was like let's me check out this uh her project from and so it's called willow and it came out in 2019 and um i was just very very flawed and 
overtly impressed and surprised and shocked at the scope of her artistry here. Like, I was just blowing my mind that she's 21 years old. Well, she was 19 at the time. And I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like, I did not know she was really this rock girl, punk, edge, avant-garde, psychedelic soul person. But then it made sense when I remembered that her mum is in a metal band. We don't discuss enough, but you didn't think it's Smith, you know? Uh, side hustle, she's in a metal bag or wicked wisdom, makes a lot of sense. But um, I, I just, I've been obsessed with this project the entire week, but namely the songs Overthinking It, Pretty Girls, Time Machine, like I mentioned, Female Energy, and um, I just think she is a, an insanely, insanely talented person, writer, producer, she plays the guitar, she wrote all these songs, and I was just, I just must say, I was really, really sleeping on her, like, I just did not know that this is what she was she'd been doing these last couple of years and i played a bit of some of her other projects as well and i was like these are great too and uh she, she's absolutely phenomenal and when once this pint-sized pizza is over i would i need to see her live she would be an experience so this is now a willow smith stan account i didn't know um yeah she's she's i just i can't say anything else i just very 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 impressed with her and i just did not know that yeah so that's that um and I guess lastly, I won't go too deep, into deep in it, but I've been listening to Miguel's Ardia Chic EPs. These originally came out in 2012, and they were like the they were in the interim between his first album and what was eventually, what eventually became Kaleidoscope Dream, his second album. And I loved all these projects when we put them out on the internet many, many years ago. So I was very excited and jubilant when I saw he was releasing stream platforms, and I've been playing them a lot this week. And I just love, I just, I just. And listen to that, it just reminds me that Miguel is hands down one of my favourite artists of the last 10 years. Like, he is just truly one of the best that we have. His mixture of, like, R&B and rock and new wave and funk. Yeah, he's just, yeah, he's just, he's just everything. But I want to shout out particular um, Gravity, which I still maintain should have been on the album. That would have been a great single for him. Um, that I Do, um... Party Life, are and the original version of Camps in the Sun, which has way more of like a, uh, how can I put it, it's got way more of a Led Zeppelin-esque kind of vibe compared to the version we got on the album. So those are my listens. Galan, Neptune, Seven with Feet, Deacon, Willow Smith, Willow, and Miguel's Art de la Chic EPs. I'm sorry I have no much to say, but your boy is completely shattered. Here we go. We move. <laughs> okay. Um... I'll jump in next and then we can head to Nick or Shireen afterwards. Um, so first and foremost, I kind of followed my co-hosts in what they suggested last week. So I listened to Joyce Rice Overgrown and I really enjoyed it. I heard the comparisons that um, Chopé referred to with Amarie and um, who was the other person? Um, who did Ch- I say? Chope, who was it? Um, Joyce Rice. You said there was a comparison with Amarie and someone else. No, I said she, remind- I said she reminds me of amory and, and jojo's r&b mixtape ah yeah that's it yeah so i heard i heard what you meant and i actually really enjoyed the project and um, i love the song of lucky day and i also enjoyed the song with uh, masego and devin morrison so devin morrison is someone i've been shouting about on this podcast for a while now um i think shop mentioned that last week i've been telling loads of people to listen to his music because you can tell where his influence comes from and um just how much of a talent he is um, as an individual so definitely check out his work so Devin Morrison um, he released a project I think two years ago and he's also collaborate, collaborated with Alex Isley as well so check out his work if you can 
um, I need to sit with this project for a bit more before like talking about what I particularly enjoyed about it and which songs are my favorite but Overgrown is definitely growing on me so um, I'll sit with it for a bit and let you know um, as things go on. Next we've got Justice by Justin Bieber. I spoke about this last week but really and truly I hadn't sat through the entire album and really enjoyed the project um, in the way that I had this week. So um, I've been playing a lot of um, my PS5 lately, just kind of just sitting there playing games, just being in the moment. And I like to play music in the background. And this Justice this Justice album is really good for a particular reason. Um, and I'm going to say it's because of Justin Bieber, but it's also not because of Justin Bieber. There's a writer on this album who releases music on his own, who I feel like doesn't get enough spotlight. And his name is John Bellion. So John Bellion is an artist that I've spoken about, I think, about two seasons ago. And he's released about three albums. Um, and I've I've spoken about one of them. Um, one sec, let me just get the name of it. The Human Condition. And the way he uses instruments. So he, he does a lot of a cappella work. One of his songs, Guillotine, he has an a cappella version online, which is very similar to the stuff that Jacob Collier does on YouTube and stuff. Um, the Human Condition is an amazing project which talks about things like depression um, and um, anxiety and then he kind of talks about um, money and the effects it has on society so he has a line in the song New York Soul which goes um, uh, let me give the kids a little help um, tell them money is not the key to wealth all the rest because if it was all the same how would you explain all the millionaires that kill themselves and stuff like that and it reminds me of like 21 Pilots um, which I haven't heard of in a while. I was thinking, what happened to 21 Pilots? Um, which was a rap, kind of rock rap duo from about a few years ago. I haven't heard from them. But listen to the whole project, um, The Human Condition, if you can. And get to the end song. Because what he does, um, kind of a spoiler in a way, is he the whole album completes. And then on Hand of God, which is the outro, he combines all the songs into one. And it is a really ethereal kind of... Um, I can't even describe the feeling that I get from from that song, like how everything pieces together. It just sounds amazing. And it's an amazing experience, which I'd love to share with you guys. So check that out. John Bellion, The Human Condition. And he wrote two songs on the Justice album, which when I heard it, I was like, I know John Bellion wrote this song. So he wrote Anyone. And he also wrote, I think, Somebody. I think Somebody was the other song that he wrote as well. Um, and listen to those two songs because they're one of my favorites on there. Lastly... So I went back to Nora Jones and if you know me, one of my favorite songs of all time is Don't Know Why. I just, it just puts me in a space where I am just at peace and I, I, I can't describe it. I love Nora Jones and I've kind of been delving into her music a lot more. I listened to her NPR Tiny Desk and I was just reminded of how amazing she was. So if you don't know who she is, Nora Jones, she arrived in like the early 2000s. And she kind of makes like vocal, like jazz, kind of like club. It's Yeah, I'd say it's like jazz type music, but kind of like a contemporary type of version of it. And, she, and she's known for um, Don't Know Why. That was her most popular song. And it's it's just incredible. That's the best way I can describe it, guys. It's an incredible song. Makes you feel really at peace. And I would honestly say sit down and listen to it if you're having a bad day because it makes a massive difference. Um, I listened to two albums, but not in depth. So she released an album called Pick Me Up Off The Floor in 2020. Um, and I also listened to um, Come Away With Me, which was her debut album in 2002. 
two projects I'd recommend, but I can't say enough about them because I haven't sat with them enough. Um, and that is me. I would definitely recommend Come Away With Me. I'm a massive Nora Jones fan. I love all her albums. I would definitely recommend. Yeah, she's incredible. Her first album. She's incredible. And her second album feels like home. Yeah. But all her albums are great, but the first two are my personal favorites. Yeah. No, definitely take a listen if you can. So that's Nora Jones. So in a list, it's Overgrown, Joyce Rice. You've got Justin Bieber, Justice, Human Condition, John Bellion. And then you've got Nora Jones, Take Your Pick on the Album. Come Away With Me is probably the one that I would recommend. Um, so Nick or Shireen, what have you guys been listening to this week? Um, I'll go next, save the best or last. But um, in terms of Nora Jones' recommendation, absolutely. Like my year five and six teacher would play all of that first album literally while we were working and it was the best music to focus to and it was it was just beautiful it's very it's very cathartic in terms of what it gives you when you listen to it and I can distinctly um, remember that album just playing like whenever we were playing or whenever we were working just all through that year five and six period it was it was beautiful so yeah shout out Nora Jones Um, I think that's one for all three of us that's dope um in terms of what i've been listening to i think literally the listen that i'm going to give uh i was listening to today so i went to get some crosstown donuts and and some lunch and um as i always say there's something in the water in those toronto r&b shores so i played chantelle may's um don't let them see you cry which is her debut ep uh she's been on divisions projects um the late the latest project actually to be more specific um and she's just a great musician um, overall and i think she kind of reminds me of kalani in terms of how she both dresses and also how she kind of um sings as well and i think kind of the emotions and songwriting that she kind of conveys as lot as well like along her songs and to get this kind of extended version of her through the project. I think it's seven tracks and around 22 minutes. You get to really just hear what kind of um, artistic direction she's going in. I've played the project twice. As soon as it finished, I let it repeat again because I was genuinely obsessed. I think her voice is so, um, it's so, it's got such depth to it and it's really, you can feel every lyric that she kind of sings. It's super emotional as well. And I think it's just a pure form of R&B. Like there's no kind of in, I think in this generation, there's all that kind of coded language and like millennial talk and all of that. I think she's, while there's obviously slang in here, I don't think there's a performance to try and fit in that specific pocket of R&B. Um, I'm thinking of like a party next door, a summer walker, a Bryson, like that kind of um, slang and linguistic kind of approach to it. Scissor even fits into that a little bit. But um, in terms of, yeah, Chantal May, I think she's just a very, she reminds me in places of, as I said, Kalani number one, but I think also even a, um, even an Aaliyah, like that, just the approach of how she talks about relationships and everything. I wouldn't say it's vocally. I'd say it's more in how she talks about the relationships and situations she goes through. Vocally is definitely more Kalani. Um, and yeah, I think this project, as I said, whenever I listen to pretty much nine out of ten times a musician who does r&b from toronto i'm hooked like whether it's raheem whether it's dylan sinclair um whether it's even the divisions of the past as well um party next door so so like in terms of the last album but his earlier work i definitely loved but um i think there's something over there in terms of that distinct 
type of cohesion in the projects that come from them and they're just able to really get my attention across a full project in a spectrum so yeah I think this one recommendation it's short it's sweet um but yeah I definitely think Chantel May don't let them see you cry is something you can get attuned to she's only literally got 1,000 followers or so on Twitter she's someone to watch in my opinion as well um as well as like a Zavada Ray which I've spoken about before which kind of lit out my winter I think Chantel will light up my summer so yeah I just can't wait to see her success hopefully next year she's nominated for all that she deserves to even though my view on awards have changed I know what it would do for her career but yeah um so what we'll do is we'll move on to the new section um Nick do you want to take it away so we're going to move on to the news section now. Um, there's a short item for agenda just because we are interviewing Shireen, of course, in the next segment. So little Nas X, little Nas X, where do we start with this one? Um, so I think it's only just kind of slowed down, but um, he released his visuals for his latest single, Call Me By Your Name. Um, which, like Old Town Road, created another cultural phenomenon moment um, in music uh, and in commentary at large. So the single is actually called in fully um, Montero, Call Me By Your Name. Um, and it was released during the COVID period. So obviously he had to adhere to some restrictions, which meant in part that he used himself throughout the visuals, but it was also for artistic reasons as well. Um, he wanted to create the anthem um, to kind of proudly embrace his sexuality as well. And he told Billboard that um, that he told Billboard that the themes within the film um, "Call Me by Your Name," which the song is called after, helped him to embrace that and kind of unpack it a bit more. Um, he said, I thought the theme was so dope of calling somebody by your own name. Um, the way everything was shot, the way the dialogue goes on, the way the background sounds are used. Um, everything about everything about the film is so artsy. So he wanted to follow that. So the music video, if anyone, we all know us, I'm sure us four, but I'll just explain it for people who haven't seen the visual and have been living under a rock. But um, it features a Garden of Eden theme. Um, with Lil Nas X. The, the point that caused the most contention is from halfway through the visual where he kind of ascends to heaven, metaphorically, and then slides down a sugar pole <laughs> to hell. Um, and then he's in hell and he's given the devil, quote unquote, which is himself again, um, a lap dance of sorts. And the visual ends up with him taking the horns from the devil and putting them on himself. Um, his eyes lighting up in red and then he becomes the devil I think interpretation wise but um, this caused a lot of traction because of accusations of worshipping the devil promoting devil worship Illuminati whatever 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 this kind of went out through a lot of mechanisms so Fox News particularly were focusing in on it throughout the week that followed so this last week just gone um, so last week to people who listen on Tuesday and publications like The Sun, The Daily Mail um, over here in the UK and on Twitter and other social media platforms like Facebook um, and Instagram as well. So this led to um, Little Nas X doubling down and releasing... <laughs> 
well, it was kind of a, he, a lot of parody, to be honest with you. But he basically released um, another YouTube video with the Call Me By Your Name. Just the same audio, but he changed the name to Devil Worshippers Remix. Um, obviously, it was spam because once you played it, you realised it was the same song. Um, and then he actually collaborated to release a shoe <laughs> called the satan shoes and it was by art brand mischief so there was obviously a certain amount of just normal nike trainers which were rebranded <laughs> with just the luke 1018 verse um the satanic star um and the 666 uh logo on i believe it's the right hand side um bottom half of the shoe and then it was quote unquote created with satan blood so this caused a lot of controversy because it sold out um within minutes uh when it was released on the saturday following the video uh so yeah the satan shoes uh it contains one drop of human blood it was the nike air max 97s uh it went for usd 1018 and it came in a shoe box which kind of referenced the bible and satan worship as well so um this ruffled some feathers over at nike um who kind of deemed the shoe to be a copyright infringement um because of the swish logo obviously that is the nike logo and they won their bids to temporarily stop this shoe uh from being sold and they took it to court and they're looking to kind of formally sue but not little nas x i believe they're suing mischief as well little nas x did not stop from spamming the internet because he took light of the situation uh putting a gif up of him being broke after going through the court proceedings um even though like if you look at closer details he shouldn't really be charged with anything because it's not him being charged it's mischief uh mischief the company not little nas x is no way related to little nas x it was a partnership so obviously they had to do the iconography and they had to kind of be the distributors of the shoe so that's why they're being charged um with this infringement so mischief said in response they strongly believe in freedom of expressions um and they argued the trainers were not typical sneakers but rather individually numbered works of art um to try and get the case you know scrapped but it was not it was it was still able to kind of be successful and them to be stopped temporarily and this is as of friday so one day before we started recording today um there has not been an update i've checked since but that is the status of legal things we will definitely update you in the wake of this trial date and whatever happens with the legal um, matter with the shoes but i just wanted to clarify that 1018 usd is about 735 pounds just for clarity for our uk listeners um and yeah as i said little nasex mocked the situation from monday when nike started to sue so that is pretty much a rundown of the controversy to date um i believe it's dying down just because of how the media cycle works but it was a very intense week following that visual release just in terms of you could not escape the visual if you are on social media so yeah that's everything uh if this was <clears throat> 2009 me 
I would be all over this with like, I'll be printing out screenshots of the video. Fam. I'll be looking for pentagrams, looking for checkered floors, looking for the, um, what's it called? The three sixes and all those different types of things. I still, yeah. I think back to, um, you know, Jay-Z's Murder, Murder, Jesus and um, oh Rihanna gosh, doing yes. the, the yeah, umbrella. And when you play it backwards, certain things happen and. Kanye West run this town, all that, like all those videos. Lucifer, Dawn of the Morning, listen, like Jay Z. Listen, I was deep in vi- um, what is it? Illuminati Twitter. I was deep, not Illuminati Twitter. Social media. When when it came to notes, when it came to notes on all of that, I was deep in that. Like you could ask me yeah. anything, and I would know facts. And um, it's a great marketing tool. That's what I'll say. Like I, when I was younger, I used to really believe in this whole illuminati devil society type thing don't get me wrong <laughs> like secret societies and illuminati and stuff like that do definitely exist they historically exist. they've yeah. existed they actually do but th- it is an interesting marketing cycle that um rock nation have used that so many different artists have used to promote their work and create discussion and buzz around it now Lil Nas X is someone who thrives off of kind of trolling the internet and kind of mm-hmm. um, getting that kind of negative attention and turning it into positive attention. And um, mm. he's a barb. Like you've got to remember that as well. Like he knows how to flip controversy and like he knows how to fight online. He knows what to say and all these different types of things. So I must admit when I first read it, I was just like, is this really that big of a deal even if he is a devil worshiper, why is it, why is it a big issue? Like that's his personal belief. And also like, I know this is going to be an issue or something, or it might not be, but if you actually look into the satanic church, it actually has nothing to do with worshiping the devil. It's actually completely the opposite. Um, I would genuinely recommend you guys look into what the satanic church is actually about. It's actually about, um, freedom of will. Um, I'm not in any way affiliated to the satanic church, by the way, but I do kind of find them very interesting <laughs> in kind of their beliefs and stuff. Um, but it's not what you think it is. But the devil worshipping stuff, if that's what he's into, let his soul engage with that. I don't understand why it needs to be a massive topic. I mean, it kind of just proves mm. how much of a kind of um, a, a right-wing country America, America is because Christianity is so at the helm of its focus like why couldn't like let's just let's just put it out there why can't little Nas X talk about these things why can't he kind of engage with like those kind of occult type of things why can't he if it's freedom of speech and all these different types of things why can't he? the thing is the thing is it's like I there's a lot to this just because I've studied American politics and I know that like Americanism, which is a hyper form of nationalism, like it's an actual thing, it's a doctrine, um, is crazy. And part of that in there, if you think this country, England, which we're in right now, is Christian focused, God leaning, that country is like everything you sip is Christian. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Obviously, they're contradictory and stuff because of how people behave and everything. Um, but if you saw what happened post 9-11 to Muslims and, and everything, that and the Red Scare with what happened to Jews um, and, Nazi, and people who were suspected to be Nazis and all this kind of stuff, 
that anyone that ideologically, spiritually, whatever opposes Christianity or God, God leaning religions, um, basically being a Mormon as well, um, and other divisions where God is the center, you are ostracized regardless. Like that is just the baseline. You cannot be president. If even if you're you don't believe in anything, you cannot be president. Like that is the number one. You have to forget money. First of all, I know wealth is important in this. If you do not believe in God, and if you do not show you believe in God, you are out of it. You are out of the race. Um, cannot be a member of government, like at all. Like that is just a no-no. So the Americanism, apart from the constitution, God is the center. Like apart and the constitution is God. Like they believe it's a God given document that is a doctrine that kind of uh guides their form of belief in the united states you know um so it is crazy but that is number one because obviously any detractors from this are seen as the enemy obviously someone like Lil Nas X who is a part of the lgbt community is absolutely the epitome of the enemy and he's dark skinned, like beyond that as well. Like, it's like, what, who, how are you confident enough to believe in the devil? Number one, well, not believe in the devil, promote the devil in such a way, number one, um, in a positive light in your visual. Um, number two, how are you taking a stripper pole from heaven? Like number, th number two. And number three, um, the lap duds and everything like that, like, that is the grossest form of offense to them because they have internal biases and because they are so delusional that they have that Americanism as a foundation. Um, and then we get to our old hip hop heads where there's a contradiction because if we look at DMX, um, if we look at Kanye West, three six Jesus, mafia, if we yeah. look at three six mafia, if we look at if we look at Elijah um, Watson's piece, who I'm sure Shireen, I and Chope know, and Eden because he's been on the podcast, and listeners should if they played that episode, he wrote a fantastic piece around six 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 in hip hop. So there have been a lot of rappers, both men and women um who have used satan the devil whatever you call him or whatever you call him eminem is another um, one eminem of course but the list goes on to be honest uh in their music and if we look at other genres beyond hip-hop for the broader masses of america who don't listen to hip-hop please rock and roll that's it that's all you have to do rock and roll just go and go and deep dive that's it literally you will find someone in two minutes literally so the contradictions here are because of obviously internal homophobia because of delusion because of the american um, dream and ideology and americanism the hypernationalism, and because of anti-blackness as well um i believe that's rooted in there a little bit as well um and because of the sheer fact that um he is provocative with the devil as well and the stripper pole and i think all of that as well i think it it forms kind of almost this quote unquote, obviously it's an ignorant mindset, but a, a kind of insult to what the American dream is. Um, and obviously there's sexual workers and stuff like that with the stripper part. I think there's a lot of internal biases working at one time. Um, that's why intersectionality is super important. Um, and I think that analyzing this just through one lens is, um, is a missed opportunity because I think you're missing the other lenses to which this operates in. On a personal level, I'm a contradiction because 
I didn't like when Jesus released his album, number one. I didn't like it. I haven't played it all to this day. Not going to lie to you. I haven't played it all. Um, I didn't like Ariana's God is a Woman at all. Didn't like it. But your boy plays DMX. So how... I'm a walking contradiction. Wait, so you didn't like Jesus is a Woman because of the religious thing, which you didn't like them as bodies of work? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like it. I just didn't like how Kanye West called himself a god. That so god, it wasn't the devil thing. It was the god, and I just didn't like the god is a woman thing. I just was like, god is a god, god is just god. I don't think he's a man or a woman. I, and I even contradict myself there, but I just don't think. I just didn't like the use of God, but I think I'm a contradiction in terms of the religious, how religion is used in music. But even with Little Nazis called by your name, I've played it. A couple it's actually a good song. It's you know. catchy. So, but so I'm going to say that I'm a bit of a contradiction. It's how the person is used. If you're saying you are a God in something, I'm just kind of like, no. So Kanye West, no. And if, and if anyone else, like if there's a song, where J. Cole said he's a god or whatever. No, like, I'm not playing it because I don't like that. Like, I'm, I'm a religious person. I just don't like when someone says they're a god. Now, in terms of the devil imagery and the thing, I didn't really see the issue. Obviously, it blew up because it blew up. But I was like, this is going a bit too far now. Like, Fox prioritising it every single day. Like, I was a bit confused. Well, I wasn't confused. I got it, why it happened. But I was just like really like we're in a pandemic like if we weren't in a pandemic i'd kind of not get it but just understand how delusional they are to do it but we're in a pandemic like it's a music video you turn it off don't let your kids watch it if you don't want to and that's it but in terms of the whole controversy around it i was like this is a bit much a bit much to say the least but I just wanted to explain how Americanism works because I think it's so important to how delusional some Americans think in in certain situations. Um, but I don't have an issue with this, like in terms of anything. I mean, obviously, from a religious standpoint, I get if someone didn't have the biases of Little Nas X is LGBT and he is at he's dark skinned so if they just literally hated any artist who and didn't listen to secular music at all i can get with that if you just don't believe in the devil or jesus being used in whatever light and just don't listen to secular music as a whole cool that's your ideology but i think a lot of people were being performative in this situation um and focusing on someone who if it was their favorite artist they wouldn't have cared so that's my thoughts i'm sure her thoughts okay so i just like not just but I finished an interview last year and it was like probably among the most insightful conversations I've had like in my life not even like within the realm of editorial but I was talking to um, a professor at the University of Toronto who deals with cinema studies um I forgot her name but oh my god it was a great conversation but um in that our conversation, we're essentially talking about um, the culture of music videos versus films. You know, films, you have this like super long period of time to make something. Um, I wouldn't say the budget is bigger, but there's a bigger expectation as far as storylines go um, and things of that nature. Um, so, so music videos though are compressed like you do not have as much time to uh share a story tell a narrative um as you would comparatively to uh a film 
uh, but it still is a good site for analysis. Her name is Lauren Kramer, Dr. Lauren Kramer, I'm so sorry. But she said something and it sort of like stuck with me and I, it's really just transformed my entire thoughts about music videos. But she basically said that music videos reveal like, reveal a lot. Sometimes they reveal like a lot of mess, but sometimes it's in music videos where you find sort of this real push for thought and for creativity and for reimagining. So like the example that she cited was, you know, in 1990s, um, that video with Snoop Dogg changing into an animal, which is like kind of forward for its time. And the fact that if we're, you know, we're to analyze that, we're thinking about like, um, you know, meta metamorphosis or like us taking different shapes and us taking different forms. And even if we like use Missy Elliott's, uh, canon like music video canon it's a really great site to see like boundaries pushing and how we reimagine like you know really great surrealism is happening so i use all of that as an entry point because that's sort of like what i was asking myself and i was only asking myself questions about what does this music video that he created say what is it trying to reveal and for the, the ironic part out of all of it for me was that people are going to say, people have said things to him like, go to hell. And he went to hell. Exactly. There's a problem. Exactly. And I was like, is this not what you wanted? <laughs> is this, is, is this, is this not the, is this not the expectation? So the, 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 the kind of question I was asking myself is, what is this music video revealing? Um, what does it say about us as a culture? Um, and, you know, to echo a point that was already brought up, like, oh, you know, our children are watching this. I don't know. Maybe you should try parenting. <laughs> <laughs> Be in control of the things that your children consumes. Like, I, I don't think that that's his responsibility. Like, um, and I don't I, and I really appreciate how he's leaned into and not and has not hid who he is. And I feel like that says something. That says something about somebody who, for a lot of people, exists on the opposite side of like what is respectable. Um, like all of the all of the polarizing opinions, he's on the other end of it. So what do we say about somebody like that who's like fully able and okay with embracing every aspect of who and what they are, um, and then also knows how like Lil Nas is like. A, a master cast in, in, uh, in trolling like he's he's he knows the internet he knows controversy again like you know echoing the points before and i think once all of those things become part of the same formula you get a product like that and i as like a pop culture uh critic and like just consuming it from that lens that's what i'm just trying to, to figure out like what biases does do these reveal what what does this say how what do the reactions say so i particularly like it because of the response that it's generating and like even like the whole like the shoe idea which i thought was like so wild but like it just it falls in line with everything that he's doing it falls in line with any everything that he's saying and i feel like in terms of just thinking about this artistically I was sort of asking myself, what is going to be the next thing when you come out with a boom, right? His entire career was like, um, uh, Old Town Road, like, and then it just like, there's the accolades. I'm like, how do you top the next thing? Now I'm like, how is he going to top? Like, what is the next thing that's going to emerge from this? Like, what are we going to see? What are we going to expect? 
Um, does there even have to be something that tops it? I'm just sort of like interested in following his career because I think it's like it has the most unique trajectory that I've seen to date. And all of the things that are supposedly supposed to work against him are things that he's definitely using to his advantage. And I think that that's that's really interesting. I'm so glad you said that. First of all, thank you. You made some really salient points there, I think. But and I agree with you. I think that as Lil Nas progresses in this industry, he's just becoming more than I thought he ever would be. I really thought he was just going to be a one-hit wonder of all time road, TikTok, and that's it. But even that, with this song and all time road, he's now been at the apex of two cultural zeitgeists. Because remember, when all time road came out, there was the whole debate and conversation around black country artists who have been shunned from years and years and years. And, you know, the racist country wars were so against him doing so well. And the country charts banned him initially, then put him back home when he got Mali's dad. And then now this is a completely other direction. Like, we're now, via this song, we're discussing homophobia, religious conservatism, we're discussing politics, we're discussing black gay men. Like, it's one thing about gay men, but black gay men at this point. And the fact that he was just so bold to subvert what he has been told his entire life. Like, you know, he spoke out about how he would go to church, which is the experience for many people in the LGBT community that they'll go to church and feel dehumanized and ostracized. They didn't feel like they were, they were safe. They didn't feel like, you know, they could be who they were. And now, like you said, Shireen, like he's literally fictionally gone to hell, subverted it, killed the devil, and now he's taken over. It's like, so if, if I'm going to hell, I'm creating my own hell. I'm creating my own world. And that's what I think is just so, so, so amazing about this. Like, whether you like the song or not, or the video or not, you just can't deny the audacity. And it's an audacity that we need. Because I do think, like Eden said earlier, that there's this whole idea about freedom of speech. And I think we, in the UK, US, Canada, other parts, where we like to think we're more progressive than we are. And we're not. <laughs> we, are, we are not. We are way more conservative than we are let's believe on social media. Like, And this whole thing has shown it. What has shown it. Madonna's Like a Prayer 30 years ago showed it, like, and it's just showing now. But I think we need to continue doing these things so people can have, and I hate using that term, have these conversations. <laughs> right, the conversation in the industry. Exactly, context. but I think it's good. I think I think it's a great thing. And also, to the people who were like, oh, but he's affecting children. All Time Road wasn't a song for kids either. The video may have been kid-friendly, but he's just talking about lean. Pop isn't music for kids. Like, everything on the charts. Literally, look at the charts. Like, half of the stuff on the charts isn't for kids. Like, literally. Uh, Lil Nas X is not his responsibility to raise your kids. Like, he's an adult. He's a young man making music for young adult people. Just like Megan Stanley Cardi B did. Like, it's not... Why are we assuming that their music should be universal? They're making adult music, which is why Cardi B, even on IG Live turned off WAP when her door came in the room and it's her song. Right. <laughs> you know what, you know what too, like, uh, and you know, if, if y'all have like more intimate knowledge than this, I'm just sort of making like a, a, a general statement based on what I do know. Like, this is not like a very new, and like you all made parallels within rap, mm-hmm. right? In, in rock, this is like not new. At all. Like, At all. I, so I'm, I, I and I think, I think that, like, I think at first I was thinking maybe it's the overtness of it that's getting people upset. But then I'm thinking about Kiss and I'm just like, that's pretty, that was pretty overt as well. Slipknot. Um, like. The Rolling Stones. Yeah. So I'm just. I can go on. I'm just, I'm, 
I think, you know what, you made a great point. I think it's the audacity, and I think it's, like, the same thing if somebody was, like, go back to where you came from. I'm, like, are you going to buy me my ticket? Because I'll, I'll gladly leave Babylon. Like, that's not a problem for me. I will pack up my one suitcase and go back to Jamaica and live my happy, merry, black-ass life. But it's, the it's like, the audacity of him, like, saying, okay, I'll go. I'll go exactly. And not only that, I'm going to make it my playground. Exactly. Like, you know, when when we think about the word, it's supposed to be like despair and punishment. And this is a place where you go, like if you do bad things and like only bad people go here. And then it's just sort of like reclaiming yeah. that and saying, OK, yeah. that's fine. I'm gone. Yeah. Peace. See y'all later. Or maybe yeah. see y'all never. But I think that, <laughs> I think that's what it is. Um, I, and think, those, yeah. I think also. Oh, sorry. You won't finish. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. I was going to add on to your point about how. Um, when you talk about audacity not to get all biblical and I think some people will be surprised that I know this but um, going back to the Bible the actual descendants of hell um, uh, what they called the children of Ham were described as um, black and there's a lot of connotations about how demons and devils and all these types of things are supposed to be black people and I think with little Nas kind of piggybacking off of the point of when people tell him to go back to hell and all these these different types of things I think um, when white America sees that black Americans are comfortable with the idea of being um, rejected, like that's why um, gangster rap and so many other forms of revolution have been challenged by kind of the um, general consensus of what should be in America. So the idea of Little Nas X being this demon and saying, okay, I am this devil that you make me like, like you both have just said a minute ago. There's a, there's a there's also a biblical reason for why there's an issue of that as well. Like white people kind of get off on this idea in this in terms of the religious aspect because Jesus is supposed to be this white pure person. Anything that isn't that shouldn't be celebrated. So that when black people are described as hellborn and kind of um, demons and all these different types of things, and then you've got someone who turns around, puts on horns, and gives the devil a lap dance. It's kind of like, no, you shouldn't feel good about this. You shouldn't feel happy about the fact that you are this demon. And I just find that very interesting because it's an interesting critique about how the devil is viewed. Like, I think everyone or everyone should know that uh, a kind of religious figure shouldn't have a particular race or creed. What Nick was saying about gender earlier, I would love to have a conversation with him about that because I, I understand where he's coming from. Um, but this whole idea that blackness should be rejected and then accepting that rejection is a very interesting conversation. So thank you, Shireen and Shopee for and Nick for bringing up those points. But I want to make that I want to make this clear though. It's blackness, but it's blackness and queerness. Like this is where that's why I said intersectionality. Um, yeah, no, I didn't want to. It's definitely it works in so many different. There's so the thing is this cannot be looked at through one singular periscope or lens. Yeah. Like there's like a thousand different lenses. There's the fact that the devil's used. There's the fact that it was the dancing on it. The the sec the sexual aspects of it, which in the in the religion is kind of seen in a certain yeah. light and done in certain ways and done for certain reasons and stuff like that. There's obviously the the anti blackness, as I kind of said before. There's obviously sexuality in there there's there's loads of different things as well there's biblical verses on the shoes which is kind of another audacity that people have have issue with as well i think people got angry for a multitude and for different reasons yeah. as well like um for singular different issues or for sometimes a multitude of issues so they don't even know that, that that's an issue there's a latent and more pronounced ones as well and i think that 
you know, this is a very interesting time. And I think Little Nas X is, there's a very provocative nature about what's going to happen next with him, I think, in his career as well. And as, as he ascends, um, I would just hope something that I feel like I saw a lot online as well of him leaning into the trolling and the the kind of um, the aggression to him. I hope that he's okay. That's my thoughts because I think we can mask a lot on social media and I think there's a lot perhaps that even in some of the statements that he released, you know, the Instagram posts and everything to his former self, um, I just hope the feeding into it is from a person and he's young, you know, I hope it's from a person that's fully healed um, or will continue to heal and who's doing the work because I think part of it could be could not part of the visual and everything but part of just the leaning into it so much that didn't give me as much joy as I thought it would like if that makes sense it kind of made me feel like is there a masking of something here that he's like the you know when almost the bully the bullied becomes not the bully because I don't think this is bullying at all but the bullied becomes harder and like harder from a point of not being vulnerable and not being um and using comedy as a form of of like uh, masking like that's that's my thing as well and I definitely think that you don't need to do all of this like in terms of the the social response to every single little thing and I saw it almost as if he was a normal account who just got 14 million followers or something like that in terms of he was acting like some trolls I see on Twitter that, that that are just, that have nothing in terms of like, in terms of they have nothing to lose. And I'm almost like, it's not even the fact that he's got something to lose, but I'm just like, is this all a strategy or is some of it you attacking people okay. because they've attacked you and you feel there's still well, some latent things that he hasn't processed. But the thing is, the thing is, for me, that is not victim blaming at all. I'm not victim blaming him and saying, oh, get offline or me being PC. Like, this is how you act in certain scenarios. No, like, no, no. You've got this stature. It's me saying, if he is acting in this way, I hope that at the end he has the support. That is my thing as well. If he has the support when he turns off the laptop. That's very empathetic of you and very compassionate. Yes, first of all, this is definitely, this entire thing has been a strategy. Like this has definitely been carefully planned and articulated by him and his team. And I think it's been brilliant, brilliantly well done. Even the same issues, I think that was all part of the plan. Secondly, of course, he's like a 21 year old um, gay black man in America. Like, so of course, naturally he's going to be, you know, having a lot of healing, a lot of like still self-reflection and self-introspection like you know he's still coming to terms with who he's like he's very young like you know yes he's out and he's doing this video but like there's probably so much that has been indoctrinated from his family his friends the industry um over the years but especially more so in the last two years um even like most recently when he dressed up as a camera for halloween like there was a, another wave of that so like of course of course it still affects him and so yeah there might yeah. be an element of the excessive twitter usage might be like a a rebuttal but i think what we should be asking is why did we allow that to happen in the first place which is why i say to everyone who's so concerned your concern should be this video your concern should be how your, your concern should be should just be um more helpful and more supportive to black lgbtq members that's what you should be doing if you don't want them to be worshiping the devil or satirizing the devil then you should be making spaces which are more comfortable more loving more helpful then you maybe you wouldn't have these 
terrible things which you are, are hating and sling your wrist over. I, Maybe that's what we should be focusing on. Right. And Yeah, this is my thing. I think I think there can be like eight different things that we can think at once. And I think I wasn't speaking to the fact that what Shopee said shouldn't exist as well. But what I'm saying is that in the immediate, like in the today where we know that idealistically the, these things aren't going to happen um, over two two months, three months, four months, it's going to happen like in generations and it might not even happen to be honest with you the way i feel about humanity right now i'm very cynical don't think it will happen but in terms of the short term i hope when the laptop goes off because i do think as much as you said that there is a strategy there were some unpredictable elements they didn't see the lawsuit coming i'm telling you that now it was probably a possibility of course but it wasn't in their realm of possibility of the ideal scenario they the ideal scenario was the say and choose sells it sells out in 10 minutes and they can report on that and use that as metrics and etc cetera, etc cetera, um and help build that campaign more so i think even some of the outbursts were not planned he's not like i'm gonna sit here for four hours on tuesday and respond to whoever tweets me because i know i'm going to get this amount of tweets because of the video so i do think even some of the activity that's happened on his personal social medias is unpredicted so i'm kind of like i hope the excessiveness to which he's responding not the marketing tools not what's happened what not what was agreed and greenlit but the unpredictable stuff i hope that when the laptop shuts or whoever he's got around him even when he is typing or whatever if he has people um they are helping and i hope he's able to navigate his thoughts and communicate that when he needs support because you know he's a huge artist at this particular point in time so there's a lot of unpredictable stuff with emotions we're not robots so I definitely think there's certain reactions when even I go on social media I'm like I didn't expect to feel this today do you know what I mean so I hope yeah, I just hope he doesn't feel a need to overcompensate for what's already happened. And I hope he's just reacting to, well, he can't control his reactions, but I just hope he's reacting in the moment when he gets that critique um, from a point of feel. Like, I hope he's just in a great mindset to do that. And like, yeah, continues to get the support to help him be in that great mindset. That was my point. It's just, it just looked a bit worrying. Some of the the responses and like the time the timestamps between that, I was like, that's a lot of abuse for you to just be laughing, quote unquote, off at, you know what I mean? So I don't know, everyone has different coping measures, but I know Shireen had just started something before I started. So go ahead and finish your point. Well, I think I was going to say that just like, even like, even if it's not, if, even if it's not that, like, um, like what if that's just what he wants and what he believes in? Like, that's like also like, like I guess like he's he he has a right to do that. <laughs> so I think that there's that too. But definitely that's like a, a, a much more empathetic uh a take. I just think it like the like I like I said, like echoing what I said earlier, it it revealed a lot. Like the reactions just revealed so, 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 so much. And that's like where it became like a really interesting um uh point for me. I, I I'm I'm also like not really, but also kind of like interested to see like how these moments make their way into academia, like into papers, into stuff like that. Like, I, I think that those convergences are really interesting for me. Um, so I'll definitely like try to stay abreast of like, if I hear anything, cause I, I really do like seeing, or I enjoy reading like the sort of academic analysis where there is academic analysis around it. Um, 
you know, not to say the academy is always right, but you know, yeah. I, <laughs> I just um, I yeah, of course, we've got our critiques. Yeah, I was just good. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I keep it. Sorry, I keep it. No, no, no. I was I was just saying like I'm interested to see how other like uh, you know, we 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 got the pop culture pieces this week. I'm interested to see like how other. Uh, places like taken up as well yeah i agree with everything you guys have said and just want to say it was very empathetic what um all of you were saying taking that into consideration and stuff i also found it very very um archaic some of the Ooh. words that were being used i saw the word heresy being the religion used, religion and i was just like <laughs> <laughs> takes me back to primary I was, school that i was takes just like in 2021 school. heresy that is a very very interesting word to use like it kind of denotes how how Christian the country is that it, it's it's used in mainstream media. I just find that really, really interesting. That's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I don't think people realise how religiously inclined that nation is. Um, I just want to say, just on a kind of self-aware note, I hope I didn't come across like I was erasing the LGBTQ aspect of Little Nas X talking about hell and everything. I wasn't trying to do that, but if I did, I apologise. Um, but yeah, we'll move on to the next topic. So the next topic is an interview with Shireen Taylor. Um, Nick, do you want to start? Yeah. So um, as we kind of said before, Shireen does a lot of things, um, including founding Bashi, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, music and culture writer um, and actually pop culture, as she kind of specified in the last um, the last round of news. And, you know, she's currently a student as well. So we'll get into a bit of that too. But I just want to ask you, first of all, Shireen, 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 um, how did you find yourself on this journey? Uh, and talk us talk us through and the listeners through a timeline of when this all started, you know, your immersion in the cultural arts space and getting to here now in 2021 during a pandemic still thriving yeah um so i want to say in like 2012 i took a short break from school this is like my second year of college (laughs) um i had like a really tough time like um sort of like finding my footing so i got accepted into a program for classical studies which is like the studies of like ancient mesopotamia i love history a lot um so i liked it but it was i think it was like just a bit of an um overwhelming transition to me and i came from an arts high school as well so most of my time there was like uh doing like dramatic arts being in like on theater and stuff like that so it was it was a huge shift um but during that time off in my second year i started doing like event showcases like curating event showcases for like local artists and stuff and i also started like writing like just covering concerts um and I really liked it uh so I want to maybe say like I sort of like toyed around with the idea like I wasn't really taking it like too too seriously um and then uh I like was living on my own whatever and I think I was just like using Twitter more heavily following different like um like the right I want to say like the writers before me and like you know other writers that I liked and editors and they were doing calls for pitches so I like uh, submitted like, you know, a, a pitch, got accepted. And then, you know, they were like, oh, we can pay you. I was like, I can get paid to write. That's crazy. 
Um, so that was sort of like my step into like writing. Um, and then like just a few years later, uh, it was 2015. And that's when Justin, um, not Justin, yeah, Justin Bieber released Sorry. And the discourse, the sort of pop culture discourse that was happening at the time was Dancehall was making a resurgence. Dancehall was making a resurgence because of Justin uh, Bieber and all of these like weird, the weird things that came out of it. Um, you know, the, the choreographer who claimed that that was like Polynesian style of dancing, even though it was like really obviously um, taking from like the like aesthetics of like dance hall and stuff like that. But um, so I was just like, this is terrible and wrong. Everything is wrong. Everything I'm reading is wrong. Um, so I sort of like wrote this piece, I think, for Noisy. Um, and that was sort of like my first like official like pop culture, like critic like criticism uh, uh, piece. And then it just like sort of like took off from there. Um, a lot of things were happening like outside of writing. So at, at the time I was like writing for my school's newspaper uh, or magazine rather. And I had started as a contributor and then made my way up to like an arts and life editor. And then like finally was editor in chief. Um, so that gave me like the, the magazine, like the tangible experience of it. Um, but since then, and like having those kinds of experiences, it's really just been my like absolute mission and goal is to um, like, I don't, I really want people to think deeply about how they engage with um, Caribbean cultural production, specifically like Jamaican cultural production. And, um, you know, back to like what I was saying earlier, like ask ourselves like what does it mean when we say this what does it mean when it has these implications and on the side of somebody who is like creating like the the work and creating the the chronicling it documenting it and archiving it I also want to ensure that in the ways that I'm able to speak about aspects of my culture um you sort of without like feigning like proximity or like experiences that I like I've never had like I, I, I won't ever write about that um but to let people know that we can talk about our um, culture and our and discussions about our cultures can exist and talked about in the same kind of dignity and manner and texture as we see things engage with um, from, from other places. So you know, if you if you listen to a lot of people who might not interact uh, really with dance hall and reggae and soca and stuff like that. The sort of same adjectives are always used. Like this is a really summary record, um, and like artists are right. Oh my gosh, exactly. exotic, tropical. <laughs> trop I know Sunkiss is it's there though, and like um, these artists are making <laughs> records around the year, um, and I feel like it's doing them such a disservice to always attach these kinds of like adjectives to their work. Be and it silos them into a box that they didn't even subscribe to. So my yeah. goal and mission is to provide spaces or like create um, editorials that sort of speak to just texturizing and giving some gravitas to how we understand um, music, culture, cuisine, et cetera, coming from this region. That is a really- Thank you so much. Really beautiful answer. Like you've answered it so detailedly, it's incredible. Honestly, like, 
Shireen has a yeah, way of man. I'm like, hearing she's it. Just, she's really... Yeah, don't like, don't gas up my head now. Do not it's gas poetic. up my head on this podcast, please. <laughs> Shireen, shut up. You know, you know you got yeah. the juice. You know you got the juice. She wouldn't be here still if you didn't have it. Like, And the thing is, what I love about Shireen, guys, is like if you check her portfolio, this isn't to shop any needing because I'm sure you've done your research, but in terms of the people who are listening right now, Shireen Taylor, that is, if you check her workout, she'll talk about Jamaican food, Jamaican drinks, and she kind of just kind of spoke about and I think that's what's beautiful it's not as I said music and culture and she actually does the culture bit you know so it's kind of like it's beautiful that there's so much varied pieces of work around our artists our food and what we consume I think you've even wrote about buildings and stuff like that like as of late as well so and liberation carnival is liberation she loves talking about carnival and writing about it and she's been multitude of times which we'll get into in a bit but I just love her work because it's so wide-reaching, wide-ranging and nuanced. You know, favourite word, people who've listened to it. Um, very nuanced. Uh, and so. I think she would give you a great taste of the Caribbean, specifically Jamaica. So, yeah, thank you for that intro answer. I'm going to go to whoever wants to go next. That Chopin, Eden, whoever is excited enough to speak first. Go for it. Um, well, it kind of trails off, so... Obviously, towards the end of last year, you announced that you signed a book deal. Um, so if you can, can you like shed some light on what the book will be about and a prospective release? Yes. Yeah, so I'll I'll speak as as much like, as you can. Direct. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um. So so I have done a lot of like reading about dance hall in Jamaica, which is like of course important, but. I think one of the things that's really important to me as a writer, as like, not even writer, like as a cultural worker, is to ensure that I'm not taking away a position that I don't, like, I'm not writing from a position that I don't have access to. Uh, so this book will largely be about dance hall off of Jamaica. Um, and that is my whole life. Like my experience as somebody as part of the diaspora um, is interacting with dance hall once it's touched a different geographic location. So that is sort of like the overarching theme uh, of of the of the book. So I am I've been working on it since last November. My my proposal and my goal is to have it submitted in the next few months. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that it's something that can be released either sometime next year or early the year following. Um, sometime in the first or second quarter of early year of next year. Well, I for one am very very excited to check that out because I do think, and I could be wrong, so please correct me, but I don't think that there is enough uh, literature on dancehall music. Like, yes, there's a lot of articles and pop culture, but I don't think in terms of literature, a physical book, I think that's something that we've seen a lot of in recent years. So I'm very excited to see where that takes you and what kind of gems you'll be highlighting and educating people on. Yeah, I'm excited as well. Thank you. I, I really hope it does it does what it's supposed to do. I really hope it give what it's supposed to give. Um, because I'm, I, I, I really care deeply about where dance hall has traveled. And I think that it traveling is a, a point of people to connect back. That's definitely how I had like a big part of like my identity revolves around music and revolves around how I interacted with, um, 
the 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 digital products of it like oh my god this is so embarrassing i can't believe i'm saying it out loud but like me and my friends used to watch like pasa pasa on youtube like after school like it was like a tv show definitely was not like i don't know what we were doing but like we used to just watch it and that's like very much and like um I used to have this one of my mom's family friend who would always drop off food at the house, but they would always come with a mixtape for me. And that was like another way that I like kept connected. I've I've said this in another article before, but there is this incredible, incredible, incredible DJ from Toronto named Specs. And he used to have the nine to twelve segment every single Sunday. Um, and he did like one hour of like the Mega City Mixdown, which was like like the top ten tracks in Jamaica. He did a Lovers Rock segment for an hour, and I think he did like I don't even know what the other segment was, but that what, having access to that program from like I don't know I've been listening to that since I was like a kid, right up until maybe like high school. Like that was a huge formative part of like how I crafted my identity and stayed connected with what was happening back home. So really, just talking about like all of those like intersections of technology um and and how that and globalization that has contributed to dance hall um being uh you know where it is and, and how it got there so that's a huge focus on on the title that i'm writing all right you didn't so my question was more so to do with um trying to connect with you on a kind of um cultural level so just a bit of background, I'm um, half Jamaican and half Bajan, and Nick is also um, half Jamaican as well and half um, Dominican as well. But I kind of, growing up in the UK, my connection to the UK has been a bit fragmented. Um, I've been, I used to go to Toronto every single year to visit family because, you know, Jamaicans have family in Toronto and America and so many different places. Um, because I read one of your articles and it really highlighted the fact that there are more Jamaicans that exist outside of the island than actually on the island. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk about that, that real connection to Jamaica, but also the possible imposter syndrome that comes with that as well. So when you pen your articles or when you write your books and you talk about or you write your book, sorry, and you talk about dancehall culture or um, dancehall or just Jamaica in general, is there an inner critic that kind of questions if you have the authority to write about it yeah well i'll say this like during our call like i just switched over to i just got a notification on um on twitter so i switched over to it and somebody that i know um i hope they don't mind me uh reading their tweet out loud without their permission um but i'm just gonna assume that because it's like uh you know on the on the interweb it's it's okay but um he he sort of just said that he was struggling with what it means to be like a black canadian um and then similarly like having that tension between like uh having an attachment to to the city and not necessarily the country which is like felt totally 100 percent, and um having this kind of like fragmented or fractured relationship with jamaica so like i don't know how to explain this and i'm and i don't know if this is also the situation in in london but jamaica is here like i feel like if I need a food item, if I need a thing, if I need something that's like culturally specific and not everything, but those things are accessible to me. And that's a huge privilege that we don't uh, talk about. Like if you're from a culture and you need something to make a traditional dish or whatever, that's like a form of like cultural erasure. Like those things should be accessible to you, especially in a, in a place like Canada who touts multiculturalism, which is an entirely different conversation. But 
I can access a lot of my culture here. My whole life, like I, I, I don't know what to tell folks. Like my whole life is, uh, and I'm standing firmly in a diasporic Jamaican upbringing. My mom is Jamaican. My grandma is Jamaican. So everything that I would have been experiencing culturally is some sort of iteration, um, even if it's like a one that has traveled and has taken on a new form. It's some sort of iteration of Jamaicanness. Um, and then on an, on the aside, to like just deviate for a second, the entire purpose of Bashi for me, uh, which is like the publication that uh, you know Nick had brought up earlier, is questioning like what does it mean to be Jamaican when somebody says they're Jamaican, like. What are we implying? What are we invoking? And how can that definition be more expansive? So my version of, a, of, of being Jamaican is a diasporic version. And that's what I firmly stand in. Um, so I, I think to answer your question, there's like a there's a lot of tension, especially for like first gens, for, for black people in general across the diaspora. There's a there's a lot of um, tension between how you identify. And I remember very distinctly in 2016 and 2017 having these huge arguments with people online about my identity, like about like you don't get to be called Jamaican. And I'm like, none of you pay my bills, the fuck? None of you guys contribute to like my way of living, my life, like and um I get the I get the um I get the, even the tensions there. Like Jamaicans in general are very like hard to please people. Um so and and sometimes like the diaspora kids they, they they do a lot like they we do too much sometimes and i get it um but even when we think about that if you live in kingston uh if you live in Montego bay if you live in um like upper st andrew if you live in portmore if you live in baka bush there is not a monolithic experience there you know what I mean? So even when somebody has the geographic uh, privilege of being in a in an island, like it means very it means different things to be from different places. Like there are some things and some traditions and some practices that unify, but then there's things that don't. So when it comes to like acknowledging that, I really try to allow the editorial perspective to reflect that thought that I don't want to like. Um, I don't want to feign attachment or feign experiences. Um, one of my favorite pieces that I've ever written, and I don't know if I'll ever write something <laughs> like, I mean, I will, I'm being so dramatic right now, but I want, like, this is the kind of writing I want to do. In 2017, I wrote a piece for The Fader about um, driving in coaster buses. I don't know if any of y'all have been in coaster buses in either, um, Barbados or in Jamaica, but coaster buses um, are buses oh, that, yeah, they adopt the roots of the actual, like, um, actual transit, like the transit that the, the city or, you know, country governs or operates. Um, and they're really these colorful, dynamic, like, you know, there's paintings on it. They have names. They're sort of like infamously known. Uh, yeah. Play music as well. Right. They play music. I wrote about that experience. I, when you go on, like, you know, when you all are on the tube, for us, like when we're on the TTC or the, or the subway, the streetcar, 
driving is a very isolated experience. You you try to take up as, as least space as possible. Your volume is turned down. You're not eating because you don't want certain scents. You you know, you, you confine yourself and minimize yourself as much as possible. In in Jamaica, that, that doesn't happen. The, the bus driving experience is a very communal one. So the piece that I wrote about was very much speaking to that like distinction of like, I went to this new place and I'm listening to music and, and it, on the bus, on my commute, and it become it became an experience in and of itself. And um, I think the reception to that like meant a lot to me. Like it still means a lot to me. And um, I had so many people like say like, "Oh my God, this is the norm for us," and I never even thought and and I never even sat down to think about like what this meant. Um, and I think that that's the kind of writing that I, I, I love doing. It's just thinking about, like, how can we talk about identity and these strained or connected relationships and these similarities and these differences from a place that feels, like, real, authentic, true, and doesn't, um, doesn't need you to contort yourself into something or to some kind of experience that you don't have any connections to. That's a great answer. That is a fantastic answer. Thank you very much for that. And I can relate to a lot of the things that you're saying. Um, I, I, For me, I feel like the reason I asked the question is because even myself as a Jamaican, um, as a black British Jamaican man, like even then I had to hesitate and figure out which direction and which way I wanted to put it. Um, I found that when I went to Toronto and Canada, that maybe it's because of um, how the slang is slightly more incorporated with... Um, jamaican patois like i find that the tw- that the the slang is more um jamaican centered in toronto but when it's in the uk i find like there's kind of a mixture of a blend of so many different countries there is still patois and stuff like that but we do have our ode to like um nigerian pigeon or so many different other countries as well like i as a jamaican man know that my slang and the way that i speak is influenced by places like nigeria ghana and all these places as well so for me, going back to Jamaica is an ethereal experience because like, I'm like, I don't belong here. Like I stay on the resorts or I might go to see family in like the country or stuff like that, but I don't feel like I'm home there. So I'm just, I just wanted to hear your experience as a um, Jamaican who lives in Toronto and kind of has a, a Torontonian experience, what that means. So thank you for that. Um, and it's glad to know that there is an opportunity to be a Jamaican outside of Jamaica and have your own experience so yeah did anyone else have a question similarly actually i wanted to touch on toronto um because just speaking more to people from toronto specifically um there's definitely been the sense of multiculturalism and i definitely remember reading one of your pieces where you or someone else spoke around how Somalians or Somalis like influenced the language as well, um, or the slang, um, or the interpretations of dialect in the city. But um, I always wanted to ask um, about like the likes of Lily Singh and the how much people um, on Jamaican and West Indian culture, how much does it feel like there's almost an intrusion or lack of respect of the West Indian culture in Toronto um, because of that multiculturalism and hyper kind of clashing of cultures or should I say synergy of cultures, not clashing, synergy of cultures? Um, 
yeah, how does it feel in terms of the line of appreciation and appropriation or disrespect? No, 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 no. Like, none taken. Like, okay, so my, I like, I'm just here for the questions, right? Um, I'm like thinking, okay, so when we have this excuse or this statement in response to those kind of questions of like, well, that's like what we know, that's like in our purview, whatever, da 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 da. Um and like this that the, they all come down to proximity, right? Um like I grew up okay, so I was like born in Toronto, but I was raised in Brampton. I spent twelve years of my life there. And there is like a strong like South Asian community there. Um I have been maybe invited to like a few uh like okay like occasions or traditions and my entry point has always been what are the correct mannerisms what is the correct um like way to greet somebody what should i wear like i very much take it like seriously of being invited into a cultural space of my own because i feel like it's a privilege to be there i think that it's a great deal of respect between you and another person if they invite you to something that's that that is that personal so my entry point has always been like what do i need to do to so that i'm like one not offending anybody and also so that i'm there as somebody who can like honor and appreciate your culture um and i don't know if that is sort of given to specifically caribbean culture so like i'm sorry i'm about to go into lecture mode but i'll try to be concise as possible to me, when I think about like uh, Caribbean culture, I'm thinking that a lot of our culture post independent uh, economies, which is literally, you know, for places in Antigua 40 years ago, for places like maybe Jamaica, like 60, 65, uh, like these are really recent post independent economies, right? The easiest thing that you can sell is your culture. So what it does is it transforms these things that were maybe intra-community to something that is being commodified, right? And then what happens when that like leaves and departs these uh, this region and goes somewhere else? So when we have something like a Notting Hill Carnival, when we have something like a Caravana, which is very much a direct reference and reflection of uh, diasporic identities of something that was experienced back home, right? Um, so I'm always just thinking about these things like these are this is the this is the subtext of the cultural production and the products and how they recreate themselves abroad. And when I think about all of those things, uh, I don't get to shed my Caribbean-ness like I stand firmly in it. You know, once once the very annoying uh, where are you from question comes up, then, you know, people I put, prescribe all of these things onto my body, onto who I am without knowing me or whatever blah 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 and i think that given the history of like our culture and our and our and our cultural products much of them created in spite of um i think people who are engaging with it need to ask themselves questions about what their participation means and how are they going to engage with it respectfully right um, I very much speak from somebody who is of Afro-Caribbean heritage, but I've seen a lot of my Indo-Caribbean peers take up this conversation with specific regards to Lily Singh to talk about what that experience is like and thinking about the larger um, 
Indo-diaspora, uh, like what does it mean for somebody who um, might not have roots in a particular region, but is sort of like skirting around, you know, the technicalities, well, I'm from Scarborough, um, well, I'm, I'm from this and I'm from this space, so we have this shared culture. Like I'm really trying to, to all of the questions for me boils down to who is allowed to be a vehicle of Caribbean culture, right? Last year, um, I believe the Toronto Carnival, uh, you know, the folks who are involved, who managed that, uh, uh, the event, they signed what I believe is their first ambassador. Um, and she's like not even Caribbean. She's like from the UK or Anganian. Uh, uh, and she's like a, like a celebrity because she was on a, on a, a TV show. Um, her name her Tanya on the Real Housewives. So she's the she's the ambassador. And I'm like, okay, are are there not like are there not Caribbean people in Toronto? Is this is this not one of the things that we talk about, multiculturalism? So like why why don't we get to be the vehicles? Why do other people get to be the champions? And when we do get to be the vehicles, why are we demonized for it? Those are all the things that are like going on in my mind when I think about how other people engage and how other people get to champion our identity and why we never have a hand in it and we sort of have to take a back seat until somebody comes in and like sanitizes it or presents it in a different way. I completely agree with you. Um, I feel like that is a form of colonialism, colonization, and it frustrates me so, so much when our culture um is looked at through such a superficial lens uh, a superficial lens in the fact that people will come for the food music aesthetics etc but will then want to reproduce that without our view and erase us and i think there's a conversation that i know you and figures like wanna are very visual of in terms of notting hill carnivore and it being kind of and and caravana to be honest like looked at in a different way to other uh caribbean carnivals or west indian carnivals even miami is seen in a more authentic way and i think it's even that conversation last year that was in london around I'm not even going to say his name, but you know the white guy who whines, who gets appreciation from that. Um, in our community, even our communities, you know, look at him as some kind of beacon in in carnival community, and it's it's kind of worrying if that's the side of the future, because um, that's super erasure. He even lied around <laughs> coming from the West Indies. Um, but in terms of things like that, I kind of get why some cultural productions are looked at in a certain way and even when i was at notting hill like eden was there as well like uh two years ago now um i stepped out of you know the band we were with to go to the bathroom and i felt disillusioned i felt like this isn't this isn't this is not caribbean culture being celebrated right now this is not love to soca this is not love to even bashman even though that's another conversation around which genre should be there but um this is kind of, this is hip hop I'm hearing. This is, you know, dub, dub and all this kind of dubstep and all this kind of genres. And I felt disillusioned. So I am have the same worries around you in terms of who's representing our cultural spaces. And if it is us, why is it looked at with an 
air of curiosity and almost critique in 2021. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with those sentiments as well. And I think what you face in Toronto are very similar issues to what we face in London, maybe in a slightly different lens, but um, similar sentiments in terms of feeling. But thank you for that. Um, so I have a question that's more music focused. So you've written about how dancehall arose from sound system culture, clash culture and hall parties. And of course, you've written extensively about carnival. So I just wanted you to like, you know, for our listeners out there, but especially our non-Western and non-Caribbean people listening, because I'm I'm Nigerian. Um, can you speak to how physical spaces and community, physical community, have like impacted like the innovation and development of music from the West Indies and Caribbean diaspora? Uh, this is something that I've been meditating myself. So I'm sorry if I'm working this out in real time, but people often ask, and it's a, it's a super valid question, um, like why is it, has it been so difficult to um, push soca into pop culture's purview? And I use soca as a site of analysis, and I'll, I'll get to dance hall, but I use soca as a site of analysis only because, like, uh, given its roots and given its conception, uh, given how it's been modernized, been it, given how it's been commercial commercialized, and what I was saying earlier, like, giving uh, within the realm of, like, Trinidad, I mean, Barbados, you can even include Jamaica and a lot of um, islands who have leaned into the carnival economy um, and the production of it, the time that it gets produced, the time that it doesn't get produced. Um, people, like, soca is is something that you can, of course, listen to in your headphones, um, but soca is, like, something you have to experience in person to get it. You know, like... You, you have to be in a fet, you have to be with it on road, you have to be with a, with your people in your community, and it, it just elevates the experience. And I think that that sentiment is reflective of sort of Caribbean music as a whole. Like dance hall was literally started in the, the dance halls, like two separate words, dance and hall, right? Like that was very much a experience that demanded your physical presence um so i think that this year especially has been very interesting to see the life and the uh how those two genres have navigated because it's in the absence of physical space but i think the physical space is integral to how it's experienced to how it's remembered to how you chronicle it to how you resonate with it like, there are songs that I'm listening to in my headphones, and I'm like, this slaps. Then I hear it on the road, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it's like the first time. It's, like, so much better. It, it's, it's, I really feel like uh, Caribbean genres are experiential genres. Like, you, 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 you have to listen to them in community. Uh, but I think that that's, like, the nature of, like, Black diasporic music in general. Like, we are making very personal music about our lives and we are making uh, very narrative-driven uh, music, but I also feel like our music is a way for us to connect. Nick said earlier, this sort of like unspoken definition of diasporic music, like we know what we mean when we say that. We, we There's no definition, but we sort of have this like communal, like unspoken understanding of what that is. 
Um, and but I feel like that's sort of like the the crux of all of our music genres and the many ways that they manifest, but particularly soca, particularly dance hall. That's where I feel like you see the convergences to be more apparent and more felt. Um, and, you know, this is outside of what you asked. Like, when I went to Buju's concert, the, the return, the, the homecoming concert, I will have to say that, like, that is probably, like, the biggest crowd that I've ever been in in my life. And that show, um, you know, for all, for all of what it meant and, you know, what it, what it meant, um, I feel like the experiencing that with so many people gave it something else that I don't know if I like watched it uh you know on YouTube or whatever it would have been the same and but I feel like that community aspect is very integral to the way that we make music and the way that we expect the music that we make to be experienced all right thank you very much such a good answer yeah i'm just gonna say this because i don't know if i'm gonna remember to say this at the end but when we said we needed to talk about the caribbean and west indian music and all of the like and nick suggested shireen i it was the perfect choice like all of your answers have been amazing and i just want to thank you so much for representing our country the way that you do um i've learned so much i've learned so much from you um and I've also, I, I feel like I've found a part of myself as well because there is this area of comfortability when it comes to um, a certain side of your personality or um, identity that you kind of don't connect with because it's not accepted in society. Um, like, like I feel like we've had a Eden. very... Oh, sorry, one sec, Nick. I feel like... Um, what was I going to say? Um, uh i forgot what i was gonna say <laughs> i feel like we've had i feel like we've had uh, oh i feel like we had a conversation about how people kind of celebrate the west indies but they don't really kind of engage with it or like they don't have someone to introduce them to it. it's always like the commercial thing that they see and then they engage with um like we use the example of sun kissed songs and all these different types of things um what i will do because i think we're going to round up now i just want to ask one question to kind of help people get into dancehall so if you were to kind of name a few songs or artists you would recommend to someone who you would want them to really get the feel of um, Jamaica, what would you say? Yeah, so I really like Spillabang right now. Like he's just such an interesting artist um, to <laughs> me. Like I think, I think that he is going to be here for a while. So I'll definitely like tell folks to listen to him. As far as like finding a really cool way to see dance hall and rap meet like there's this uh newer subgenre that people are sort of like loosely calling trap hall which is the meeting place between dance hall and rap um and i feel like he's like done a really good job at that um i really like uh, chronic law i really like tj <laughs> i really like shensia um and I think that those are like the the folks who are like doing really really well with dance hall. Um, in terms of like uh, like the more melodic dance hall, there's um, Cranium and my yep. favorite Dexter Daps. Um, <laughs> I cannot wait to like be back in a space where I can like scream, sing those lyrics. Mm. Um, 
and then I would say like what I'm sort of like you know I guess like would chronicle as like the new wave of artists uh Savannah Lila DK I love Savannah oh my god she's so incredible um Jazz uh Naomi Cowan Courtney Black Hero Royal Blue Tessellated yes say their names <laughs> yeah I really feel like those artists are bringing um are like just doing like really incredible work i feel like i've said this so many times but like i i think that um people think about J- jamaica and they think reggae and dancehall which is completely fine and i totally get it um not knowing that jamaica has actually been foundational in i think eight or nine distinct different genres so there's like ska dancehall reggae rocksteady reggaeton uh, uh, yeah. EDM. Uh, let's not forget rap. Let's not forget toasting culture. Let's not forget British genres as let's well. Not, let's not forget punk music. Punk yep. music. So many genres that like Jamaica has like contributed to or been foundational to, and yet still people like demand exclusively reggae, exclusively dancehall. Back to the words that I was saying, like sometimes you'll see like dancehall inspired just by virtue of them being jamaica and it has nothing to do with dancehall a hundred and i'm just like what are we listening to (laughs) what are like what dancehall sounds like this um so i'm here for artists that are embracing traditional genres and taking it to new levels or even trying to maintain the sonic aesthetics but i'm also here for artists that are finding really innovative ways to either depart entirely or make music that sort of blends and borrows and is very much a reflection of who they are and how music travels and i just want to add on that quickly so you spoke about the dancehall artists like so who are some of the newer school reggae artists that you think we should be listening to or our listeners should be listening i feel like this is a (laughs) sorry shoppy's shoppy's been asking um me and another friend to take him to a reggae brunch for a while so i feel like he's trying to host his own reggae brunch at home right now that's why the question exists. Well, no, but like, well, I've all, like, so I've said it before that like, um, my dad is a is a massive reggae fan. So like, even though I'm Nigerian, like reggae music has been in my house as long as I can remember. But, um, and it's over like, you know, of course I love Shinsia, I love Popcorn, but like, you know, recently I've, like, I've, I love Lala Ike, Lila Ike, I hope I'm saying it right. Taris Riley, Chronic Skip Marley. Like, you know, there's a lot of Savannah who I've said before, protege so i just want to like you know yeah you know let's continue mm. the vibes and the swears yeah <laughs> oh i also forgot to mention leno banton who's who's uh who's um, music i really do like as well so there's that but but in terms of like new reggae artists i really i really really like mortimer like i love i love his sound um i i would say that between reggae and dancehall that i definitely have like a stronger affinity for dancehall um and like I love reggae too, but like if they were siblings, dance hall would be the favorite child. Um, <laughs> but I really do like what Mortimer is bringing to the scene, so I'm excited okay. to see like what he produces. All right, thank you, Nick. Do you want to wrap it up? Um, yeah. Actually, wait. Sorry, I have one last question. Actually, and this is for actually for all of you, and it's a bit it's a bit light hearted, comedic, but. It was actually this woman's birthday, so I just need to ask this once and for all to get it off my chest, just so I. Like... Celine Dion. Yes. So why is I just have to end it here? Sorry. Why is Celine Dion so beloved by the Jamaica diaspora? Like, what is the origin? Where does it come from? Why? Like, just just educate me, just so I can know. I want to say weddings. Where did it come from? I want to say weddings. It's just 
um i think the power of love was a very um popular wedding song in jamaica at the time but i actually don't know the reason why celine dion in particular um yeah no like i feel like it's like you know when you wake up the sky is blue um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like the water water is wet like i just feel yeah. like it's i don't know i don't know the origins i there, there's a piece there's a um there's a uh a writer slash professor researcher named aaron mccoy i'm 1000 percent positive she wrote a piece called celine dion is jamaican I, I <laughs> she published it on medium yeah. so i feel like maybe that might give folks insight i don't know what it is yeah. but i just feel like she is in our collective consciousness and she lives there and nobody is saying lady leave so yeah shout out to her <laughs> yeah there is no reason <laughs> exactly all right well need to wrap it up um yeah no so shireen um i definitely wanted to ask you about the future so in terms of cultural work um where do you want to go i know you're writing a book obviously and i saw some tweets about bashi so talk to me around the future of bashi the future of yourself and the future of cultural work um wherever that takes you whether it's putting a spotlight on torontonians putting a spotlight on jamaicans the west indies where do you see yourself going with all the work that you've done so much like um, in the last couple of years so where do you feel like it will take you yeah so i really um when bashi came out i think it did what it needed to do i also like made the logo in canva so that gives you insight on like the design sensibilities and um you know i think now that i'm trying to figure out like how do i want this publication to exist um the editorial aspect of it is great like that's my wheelhouse but now i've been using this time to get the design aspect of it to to catch up so um you know i very much putting together the layout of the first and second and third issue has been like me learning uh in design and just sort of like going along the way and I'm grateful for that, but I really want Bashi to sort of be something that you like want to have on your coffee coffee table. Like, it, you know, in the same way that magazines just look nice, like you look so cultural with that publication. Um, I want for Bashi's design uh, ethos to match its editorial look. So that's sort of where we're at with that. Um, I've been working on a lot of things in the background to trying to to, to change that dynamic and. I'm really excited to, to sort of like share that with folks hopefully soon. Um, but with regards to like my own work, I'm, I'm very much, you know, I don't dream of labor, but oh my God, I love culture so much. <laughs> and like, I feel like it's been such a really great place, like just to experience things, but also to sort of have the ability to just analyze. And I don't know what that looks like. Like this, I feel like, the, this book will um, be a really great place to sort of allow me to be very cathartic in having um, an editorial space to sort of like put pen to paper and, and get all those thoughts out. But in whatever form that that looks, I just want to like be invested in like chronicling, documenting, um, and ensuring that the culture is captured um my friend and i were having this conversation a few years ago um shout out to amani who is like the most amazing writer 
researcher, thoughtful person in the entire world, but um, Amani Benshikhan, look her up, look up her work, she's incredible. Um, we were having a conversation right before the panty about like, what happens to our parts of our culture that don't get chronicled, like that doesn't get documented. Like, should we be worried about that? And she sort of told me, no, like some things are just fleeting moments. Um, and I think that 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 kind of perspective allows me to remember that, like, even in the things that we do document, like they have to be intentional and they have to, for me at least, they have to be intentional. I feel like I'm a planner. So saying that sounds very poetic and lovely to me. Um, but um, I also understand the beauty of like things just happening and you just allowing it to happen. And then maybe it becomes an intra-community thing. Maybe it doesn't need to be like pushed into the purview. You sort of just like experience it internally and then it becomes it becomes that and that's okay but in whatever way that manifests i'm just feeling very much indebted to capturing culture the best way and the most authentic way and from a really specific and intentional position as i know how thank you so much can i just say like wow like i'm i know i've said this already but i'm really really appreciative of the work you're doing for our culture like really really and truly you are a godsend when it comes to giving our culture a voice because i'm now starting to realize how i haven't really experienced a lot of people from jamaica talk about jamaica like it's always from what i see a white person who maybe has an aunt that lives in jamaica or who has smoked weed once and they think that they know about jamaica or all of these different types of things i'm so glad that we have an authentic voice in the space actually coloring our experience and it makes a massive i actually feel quite emotional even talking about it so i just really appreciate the work you're doing shireen thank you very much thank you i appreciate that comment a lot no of course and i'm looking forward to the book please let me know um, when it comes out because i'll definitely purchase it when i can um yeah 100 percent. i just wanted to echo the sentiments and say that you know cultural workers such as yourself are super important in our space and i think it's an undervalued practice of work and I think a lot of people would lack identity without it to be honest with you and cultural work can doesn't just look at writing it looks at speaking it looks at film it looks at documentation you know all the ways in which you kind of can absorb information around your culture um even eating people you know it's an underrated kind of form of cultural exchange but um i just again would like to echo what eden had said and i'm so glad we finally got to have the conversation um with you in the room around the west indies particularly jamaica in this case um so yeah continue to uplift us in both toronto and the world context as well through your work um and thank you for what you've done so far because it's been a, a good chunk of years that you've invested into this form of labor as well and i cannot wait to see what bashi does in the future when it relaunches properly um to help frame our culture in a digital format as well and hopefully physical too um because i'll definitely be investing in that also thanks yep. y'all i'm gonna like yep. definitely cry after this because i'm a cancer who does not know how to control their emotions so <laughs> thank you i really i really honestly do appreciate that oh no problem no problem at all right so does anyone else have anything to add before i close the episode no that's it thank you that's it <laughs> cool well it was a long one i think it's the longest of the season but i think it's been one of the most important conversations we've had 
on the podcast with regards to culture, authentic voices and existing in different countries. Um, we finally got the Toronto experience. We got the Jamaica experience and it continues to be a conversation around how we invite people into our culture and allow people to explore our culture as well. So thank you again to Shireen Taylor for being on the episode. It's been an amazing conversation. I've learned so much. I'm sure you guys who are listening have learned so much. And if you, had, if you have, sorry, could you please like the episode? Feel free to use the hashtag D-A-T-S-P-O-D to get involved in the conversation. Check out those artists that Shireen recommended. They'll be in the description as well. And like always, guys, thank you very much for listening. Um, just wanted to plug the book one more time. So time to talk. Alex Holmes. Alex Holmes, sorry. How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection. This has been Don't Alert the Stands. Enjoy the rest of your week and peace. Yeah.